0: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hello, we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Behind the Knife uh, podcast uh, for surgical oncology. My name is Adam Yoke. I'm one of the surgical oncologists at UT Southwestern in Dallas. A pleasure have a pleasure to be joined by uh, two up-and-coming surgical oncologists, uh, Dr. Gil- Gilbert Marimois, uh, who's a research resident at uh, UT Southwestern um, in his PGY-5 year right now, and Dr. Caitlin Hester, um, who is a will be a new faculty member at the University of Miami as an associate assistant professor of surgery uh, at the University of Miami in the Division of Surgical Oncologists. So welcome to you both. So today... We're going to review um, the practice-changing MSLT2 trial. The multi-center uh, selective lymphadenectomy trials are quite monumental in the management of how we, we treat patients and how we care for patients with melanoma. They're really high level, and I think everybody will agree, high-impact research um, and should serve as an example how clinical trials in the United States with multi institutions should really be conducted. Uh, Prior to delving right into the second MSLT MSLT trial, I think it's probably important that we really lay the framework by outlining the first MSLT trial. Uh, So, Caitlin, really, what was the aim of the first MSLT trial?
1: This trial really aimed to determine if sentinel node biopsy could be used to identify patients with clinically occult nodal metastases and whether immediate completion lymphadenectomy among those who were. Uh, who did have uh, positive sentinel lymph nodes, yielded improved outcomes compared to nodal observation without sentinel lymph node biopsy.
0: Gilbert, what patients, it's always important when we talk about clinical trials, about the applicability um, to the greater population at large, and really it's what patients were included in this study, and who, who was excluded more importantly.
2: So, any patient with primary cutaneous melanomas greater than one millimeter in thickness and who had clinically and radiographically node negative disease were eligible for randomization. Patients were stratified by thickness, with thin melanomas were considered less than 1.2 millimeters. Intermediate thickness melanomas were considered 1.2 to 3.5 millimeters, and thick melanomas were considered greater than 3.5 millimeters. The patients also required a life expectancy of at least 10 years from the time of diagnosis, excluding their diagnosis of melanoma, so they needed to be in reasonable health. Exclusion criteria included prior wide local excision with specific margins included in the design, melanoma of the eye, ear, or mucous membranes, melanomas that included in-transit lesions, clinically positive nodes, or metastatic disease, among others. The study included 2001 patients between 1993 and 2012.
0: Yeah, so it was a pretty all-inclusive study. Can, can you really delve into more, Caitlin, about how, how the two cohorts of patients were randomized and how they were stratified?
2: Yeah,
1: the patients were randomized in a 60-40 ratio to receive excision of the primary melanoma plus a sentinel lymph node biopsy or wide local excision with clinical observation. If the patients had a positive node on sentinel lymph node biopsy, if they were in that arm, The patient would have a completion lymphadenectomy within 140 days. Patients in the observation group did not undergo sentinel lymph node biopsy. Surveillance for this arm included clinical exam, blood testing, and chest X-ray every three months for two years, every four months during year three, and then every six months during, during years four through five, and annually thereafter. Surveillance could include routine nodal ultrasound, PET, or CT scan, depending on the site preference. False negative sentinel lymph nodes were considered those nodes that were negative initially, but did develop nodal recurrence during the
0: surveillance period. And what was the primary endpoint of this MSLT1
2: trial? The primary endpoint was melanoma-specific survival. Secondary endpoints included disease free survival, survival with tumor positive or tumor negative sentinel lymph nodes, and the incidence of sentinel node metastasis as compared to the incidence of clinically detected nodal meds.
0: All right, Dr. Hester, we'll give you the, the most important thing. What was the takeaway? What, what should the audience take away from the MSLT1 trial?
1: They found that among patients with melanoma of intermediate thickness, so those with uh, 1.2 to 3.5 millimeters thickness, there was improved melanoma-specific survival among patients in the sentinel lymph node biopsy and completion lymphadenectomy group compared to the clinical observation group. This held true even when including those false negative sentinel lymph node biopsy patients who had a delayed lymphadenectomy performed. The primary endpoint, melanoma-specific survival, was 66% in the immediate lymphadenectomy group compared to 54% in the observation with delayed lymphadenectomy at four years. Their follow-up data that was published in 2014 confirmed that this survival advantage persisted at 10 years, 56% in the sentinel lymph node group and 42% in the observation group. Importantly, there was no difference in survival among those who had node-negative ne- no disease.
0: Finally, we have a positive study for the subset of patients who had intermediate thickness melanomas. More importantly, did this translate, Gilbert, do you think, into clinical practice changes?
2: Yeah, I think it definitely did. Um, following this trial, the Joint Committee of the SSO and ASCO issued an evidence-based guideline that recommended sentinel node biopsy be performed for all melanomas with intermediate thickness in consideration of the procedure for patients with thick melanomas.
0: And this is where we really get into the really cool part about this study group. They took these results, and more importantly, they formed a hypothesis and posed another question. Really, is the survival benefit found in MSLT1 rooted in the fact that the sentinel lymph node dissection itself was therapeutic Or was it really that completion lymphadenectomy was needed for the survival advantage seen among these patients with intermediate thickness melanomas? So let's further, let's dive into the featured journal article. So Gilbert, put you back on the spot, who was included in this study? And and, and really, what were the cohorts made of?
2: So in the MSLT2 trial, there were 1,934 patients included. They had to have primary clinically localized cutaneous melanoma. 18 to 75 years of age, and had ECOG scores of 0 or 1. Again, a non-melanoma-related life expectancy greater than 10 years was needed, and the patients also had to have a positive sentinel lymph node. The positive sentinel lymph node was not an inclusion criteria of the MSLT1 trial. These patients were randomized one-to-one to either immediate completion lymphadenectomy, which was within 140 days of sentinel node positivity, or nodal observation with ultrasound after sentinel node positivity.
0: So Dr. Hester, what was the criteria for lymph node positivity within this trial as it's very important? Really, what were the study endpoints?
1: Sentinel node metastasis was determined by means of standard pathologic assessment with immunohistochemistry or via PCR assessment. Only 11% of patients were deemed to be positive based on PCR alone without standard pathologic criteria. The primary endpoint was again melanoma specific survival. Secondary endpoints for this trial included disease free survival and the cumulative rate of non sentinel node metastases.
0: And Gilbert, what were the clinical pathology or the clinical pathologic makeup of these patients?
2: This was a fairly well matched study. The median thickness of the primary tumor was 2.1 millimeters. The majority of patients had melanomas between 1.5 to 3.5 millimeters. Most melanomas were on the trunk, and ulceration was found in 38% of patients in both cohorts. 72% of patients in the dissection group and 69% of patients in the observation group had one positive sentinel lymph node, so the relative sentinel lymph node burden was pretty low. Over 50% of patients had 0.1 to 1 millimeter foci positivity within the node, and only 8 and 6% of patients in the dissection and observation group respectively received adjuvant therapy.
0: And so what were the endpoints, Caitlin, as far as what was the overall kind of, I guess, the take-home message or the, or the final conclusions of this, this study?
1: So again, the melanoma-specific survival was the primary endpoint here. And the study found that there was no significant difference in the three-year mean rate of melanoma-specific survival between the dissection group and the observation group. The melanoma-specific survival was 86% in both of those cohorts. This non-difference persisted in the intention to treat analysis and held true after adjusting for other prognostic factors in multivariable analysis. The rate of three-year disease-free survival was slightly higher in the dissection group at 68% compared to the observation group, which had a disease-free survival of 63%, which appeared to result from a reduction in the rate of nodal recurrence after completion lymphadenectomy. After adjustment, there did appear to be a 70% lower risk of nodal recurrence in the dissection group. It is important to note, however, that the PCR-positive sentinel lymph nodes did not have an effect on survival that was as negative as the effect anticipated in the initial trial design, and they reported the results of the two sentinel node-positive groups separately, In fact, when you actually look at the Kaplan-Meier curves, the curves of both cohorts, the dissection and observation groups of the PCR-positive sentinel lymph nodes was significantly improved compared to the curves of both cohorts and the pathologically detected detected sentinel lymph nodes.
0: So among the patients who underwent a completion lymphadenectomy, how many patients had non-sentinel lymph node positivity? And really, how many patients in the observation group were found to have nodal positivity on surveillance?
2: So, 11.5% of patients in the completion lymphadenectomy cohort had non-sentinel lymph node positivity. Over time, with positive lymphadenectomy recurrences included, the rate of non-sentinel node positivity was 20% in five years. In the observation group, there was a higher rate of positivity with 26% in five years.
0: What were the clinically relevant adverse events rates in each cohort, Caitlin?
1: Adverse events were more common among the patients who had a completion lymphadenectomy than in those that were observed. When discussing lymphadenectomies, it is critical to counsel your patients on the rate of lymphedema. And in this trial, a total of 24% in the lymphadenectomy group and 6% in the observation group uh, reported uh, lymphedema. 35% of these patients that did have lymphedema experienced moderate to severe lymphedema. So lymphadenectomy is not a benign procedure, and it's important to counsel your patients on that.
0: So as with any trial, there there are critiques and kind of no, no trial is perfect. So Gilbert, what are some of the critiques that you can think of about this trial?
2: The main critique uh, really here is that the patients in the study had a very low volume of disease with over 80% having only one positive central lymph node or a PCR only positive lymph node, um, and that this might really not be applicable to more advanced disease with higher lymph node burden. Um, Still though, the trial shows that in patients with low burden lymph node disease, observation can be safely offered to these patients um, if they understand the risk of local recurrence and what nodal surveillance entails.
0: So I really think that the two MSLT trials, I mean, really kind of are the are the perfect way to do trials and that you, you find an answer um, in one trial and it leads to hypothesis generating for the additional trial um, to ask other questions and really determine what's the best for our patients, especially as melanoma care really has evolved over the last 20 years. I think melanoma, both melanoma and breast are really, they do really great jobs at this. So as, our, as part of our, our usual behind-the-knife uh, podcast ending, we always give Dr. Hester the final word.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think it's really important for listeners to understand that these data and recommendations only apply to patients who have occult lymph node positivity, especially the MSLT1 trial. Patients were excluded if they had clinically positive or radiographically positive lymph node disease. So the standard of care for patients who have clinically positive nodes is a completion lymphadenectomy, or a complete lymphadenectomy. However, with the increasing use of immune checkpoint inhibitors or targeted therapies in the the neoadjuvant setting and stage 3 melanoma, The natural next step in trial design would be to determine if lymphadenectomy could be deferred among patients who have a a PCR following uh, neoadjuvant therapy or pathologic complete response following neoadjuvant therapy. But those data are not available in real time, and such treatment should only be performed in the context of clinical trials. So the take-home message for now is for patients who have occult lymph node positivity, observation is safe. But for any patient who has clinically positive disease, they do need a lymphadenectomy as part of their treatment
0: plan. Any further words, Gilbert?
2: Uh, Gilbert? No, I think Dr. Hester uh, wrapped it up very well. I think um, again, this is just a great example of uh, how a nicely structured and ran trial can can be completed here in the United States.
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I, again, once again, I would like to thank both of you for joining us. Um,